Hi, and welcome to episode 18 of this series of Step by Step, working our way through Mark's Gospel. Today, we're going to look at a passage that's right at the centre of the book and at the heart of Mark's message about Jesus. It's chapter 8 and verses 22 to 33. If you're watching on video, there's the usual link to an online Bible in the description. Now, my dad's a builder, and as a kid, I'd often help him out during the holidays or on a Saturday. One of the jobs he would give me was moving piles of bricks from the drive where they'd been delivered to, to the area where he was going to use them. I remember looking at the pallets of bricks, wishing that I could just pick them up and move them in one go. That would have been so handy. But I couldn't. I wasn't strong enough for that. Instead, I had to transport them a few bricks at a time, in a wheelbarrow or by carrying them. The section of Mark's Gospel that we're looking at begins with Jesus performing a miracle to heal a blind man. Yet there's something odd about it. Every other miracle we read of was done instantly. Jesus spoke, or Jesus reached out and touched someone and immediately they were well again. But here, Jesus takes two attempts to heal the blind man. Why? Is it that Jesus has met his match in the man's blindness? It's all a bit too much for him. He's reached his limit and so he needs to do it in stages. Just like me with the bricks. Well, no. Again and again, we've seen that no situation is too difficult for Jesus. He has complete and total authority. That can't be the answer. So what is it? Well, this miracle is a parallel to what comes next. The next few verses show us the disciples' grasp of who Jesus is. In verse 27, Jesus asks his disciples, Who do people say I am? There were a few answers to that question. Some thought that Jesus was John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Others that he was Elijah, a prophet from the Old Testament. Or was he one of the other prophets? All these answers poured out as they replied to Jesus. But then Jesus put to them an even more important question. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Look, it's one thing to talk about what other people think of Jesus. But the key question we should be asking is what we think about Jesus. What you think about Jesus. That's what Jesus is interested in. Who do you think he is. Peter is the one who answers. Listen to what he says. You are the Messiah. Now what does that mean? If you remember back to episode one, we thought about the word Messiah or its Greek equivalent Christ as we looked at Mark chapter one and verse one. In the Old Testament, God had promised to raise up a king who would bring about the kingdom of God, a people who know God and have the hope of eternal life. Here, Peter says to Jesus, you are God's king. You are the hope of the world. Now, Peter is insightful here. With God's help, he's put together the evidence he's seen in the time he spent with Jesus and reached the right conclusion. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, God's chosen king, the one that God had promised years before, the one who would come and deal with sin, and bring in an incredible kingdom of hope and joy. Yet Peter doesn't see it all yet. Like the man who was half healed of his blindness, Peter only sees partially. We know this 
because what Jesus tells his disciples next sends shockwaves through their hearts. Mark tells us in verse 31 that Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus is God's chosen king. That means he's destined for the throne, right? In the minds of the disciples, Jesus is going to ride victorious into Jerusalem and take up residence in the palace. As his friends and followers, they would share in that victory and that glory. He's not supposed to suffer or die, is he? Peter is particularly upset with Jesus. Mark tells us that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Imagine that, telling Jesus off. Do you think you'd have done it? Jesus, though, gives an astonishing reply, both in its forcefulness and its clarity. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, God's plan for Jesus, his Messiah, was that he would suffer and die, but then rise again. At this point, the disciples don't see it. They don't get it. They are still partly blind. They need their eyes to be opened to see that Jesus did not only come to be king. He came to die. Look, at this point, Jesus can become uncomfortable. The miracle worker is fascinating. The great teacher is interesting. But suffering, rejection, death, the cross in all of its bloodiness, is this really who I want to follow? It's all rather negative and gruesome. Yet seeing the significance of Jesus' death is as essential as understanding the importance of his life. Jesus was born to die. It's the only way that you and I can be made clean before God. It's the only way our sin, that's our disobedience to God, can be forgiven. If you want to see Jesus fully, yes, look at his miracles, his authority and his extraordinary power, but also look at the cross where he dies. And as we'll see, where he dies for you and me. Well, that's it on this passage. Next time, we'll look at some of the uncomfortable statements that Jesus makes about following him. As we take him seriously, it can get a little bit disconcerting, but I would encourage you to stick with it. It's important to know what Jesus says about following him. If you want to catch that when it comes out, subscribe to our YouTube channel or like our Facebook page or subscribe to us on the podcast, either Apple or Spotify. And hopefully see you next time.